What's up, you animals? Welcome to the Strength and Conditioning Fireside Chat, where we discuss studies and other publications to build the knowledge needed to take yourself, your athletes, and your business to the next level. This episode, along with every other episode, is brought to you by DefyingGravityPerformance.com. did it they said it couldn't be done and we proved them wrong here we are episode two two weeks in a row maybe i oversold that a bit but welcome back episode two strength conditioning fireside chat uh this week we're gonna be talking about an article uh that i i I stumbled across and i thought it was a fantastic article i thought there was a a million great takeaways in it so i thought it'd be a great article to share for episode two And the title of the article is called Methods of Developing Power with Special Reference to Football Players. And the authors of the article were Dr. G. Gregory Half and Dr. Michael H. Stone. And if you're looking to uh, look this article up online, which I highly recommend, it was originally published in the Strength and Conditioning Journal in December of 2015, which was Volume 37, Issue 6. So why this article? Well, the reason I picked this article was because I think it applies to many, many sports other than just football. They specifically focused on football in it, but it applies to all sports where quick, fast, force production, um, power generating abilities is beneficial. So, for example, a mixed martial arts, rugby, volleyball, anything that requires that quick force generation, this really applies to because it really is about power generation across the board. I also think that specifically training for power is often overlooked by lots of athletes and coaches. And I think the reason being is that many people misunderstand what power really is. When they think of power, they oftentimes are thinking more on the lines of uh, general strength development than they really are power. And finally, the last reason I, I picked this article is because it is extremely well written and researched. In this article alone, when you get to the end and you look at their list of references, they have 130 different articles and studies that they've they've researched and referenced to, to write it. So it's extremely thorough. It's extremely deep. It's well researched. And that's why I think if anyone uh, enjoys this this episode and wants to go and learn a lot more and read a lot more, definitely look it up because there's a lot more there that I'm not going to be able to cover in this uh, episode. So what is the thesis, or in this article's case, the thesis, because there's numerous ones, to this article? And I love it when they do this. The very first sentence outlines the main thesis, and that's, and I quote, power generating capacity should be a primary training outcome for football athletes, end quote. Very first sentence, straight to the point. The next thesis that I identified is that strength really is the foundation of power. You need that general foundation of strength before you can even start to think about developing power. So without strength, you're dead in the water. You'll never be powerful. And finally, the third thesis that I identified is that the weightlifting movements, the 
power cleans, the snatches, the clean and jerks, you know, the Olympic lifting as a lot of people will call it. But the weightlifting movements really are the best for your power development. A lot of people like to use other, uh, you know, exercise modes such as the bench, squat, deadlifted to try to produce that power and develop that power. But your best bang for your buck is in the weightlifting movements. So before we go any further, it's important to identify what is power. I said earlier that I think a lot of people misunderstand what power is. So power comes down to an equation. So power equals force times displacement over time. So your numerator, your force times displacement, is also known as work. So essentially power equals work over time. So the driving force to power, the key to generating a high power, getting a high um, number in your power, your high wattage is speed, is to do it quickly. So this is, it's an equation. We can use algebra, right? So let's use an example. Let's hold the numerator constant. So we'll say that force times displacement or work, we're going to put that at 100. So if you can do work in one second, it takes you one second to execute that 100. What is 100 divided by 1? It's 100, which is watts. So you get 100 watts. Now say you take that same workload and it takes you 10 seconds to complete. 100 divided by 10 equals 10 watts. Well, it doesn't take a genius to realize that 100 watts is greater than 10 watts. So that's that shows you power. It all depends on how fast the bar is moving, how fast you're moving. It's all about um, the rate and the speed at which you can generate that force. So that is the key to power, moving quickly. So a lot of people, when they think of power, they think of, you know... Uh, power lifting, which is really incorrectly titled for a sport, but you know, cause one rep max doing a one rep max, it's very high in force, but very low in power because it's your one rep max or your, your heavy intensities, your higher weights. So it takes a little bit longer, You're not necessarily moving the bar quick. You may be getting to the point where you're doing those grinder reps where it takes you three to five seconds to even complete one rep. So now that we've identified power, we've defined it, we all know what it is, let's get into the article. So the article references a few studies, well, like I said, they have 130, so there's a lot, but a few that stuck out to me is that um, some studies have shown that starters on sports teams are stronger, bigger, faster, more powerful, they're just better overall athletes, which a lot of people would say, well, no shit, Sherlock, that's why they're starters, and it it kind of reinforces a theory I've always had, and I call it my my high school football team theory. But if you look at a high school football team, a lot of the starters are going to be your upperclassmen. Most of your starters are the upperclassmen, the, the juniors and the seniors. And I don't believe that is necessarily due to them being um, more skilled football players, but it's them being more physically mature. You look at the freshman and the sophomore, I mean, these some of these kids uh, haven't even hit puberty yet. And then those that have have only been in puberty for a few years where the upper class would have been in it longer. They're, they're naturally bigger, stronger, more powerful. And I think that's the reason they're starting, not necessarily because of the, because of their skill levels. They may not be better than the freshman football player, but a freshman football player that weighs 114 pounds, he can be a great running back in the, he can be the greatest running back in the world, but a 114 pounder gets 
gets leveled by a senior running across the middle, it's it's game over. So that that's interesting. And another study showed that D1 athletes, and they tested D1 athletes and D2 and D3, but D1 athletes were bigger, stronger, and faster than their D2 and D3 athletes. Once again, is that necessarily because of skill level? It just kind of goes to show the underlying um, message in all these studies is that you're bigger, you're faster, you're stronger, you're more powerful athletes will naturally rise to the top. So as you get higher from high school to college, and then in college you got the D1, the D2, the D3, and then you got the pros and you got the all-stars and the pros and the pro bowlers, whatever it may be, as you get higher and higher up the totem pole, they naturally get bigger, faster, stronger, which, which is, I mean, that's your kind of common denominator as you progress up the ladder. So that's enough on that. Let's get into the programming because the, this article spends a lot of time on outlining proper programming for developing power. So we see, me as a coach, I'm sure all the coaches listening, we see a lot of people that will program their power development like a power lifter. Like I said earlier, they'll, they'll focus on the squat, bench press, deadlift. And they, they may have the right thing in mind. They, they try to move the bar quickly and do dynamic movements. But... That is not optimal if you're looking for power development. As I said, one of the the thesis is that weightlifting movements are the best movements for developing power. So if you're looking to develop power, yes, there's a spot to do it with the powerlifting movements, the squats, the bench, the deadlifts, and I often use it with a lot of my clients, but it's not optimal. The Olympic lifts is what you want to do, those weightlifting movements. One reason I think a lot of people should look up this article and not just listen to this podcast is because they have an amazing table inside the article where they show, they list out all these different exercise modes, so all these different movements, and they show the watts per kilogram, so how much power is being generated per per exercise. And just to give you a quick example, they list out a ton of them, but the jerk um, had a power generating wattage of 44 to 80 watts, 44 to 80 watts at 75 to 85% of intensity, where the bench press had 0.3 to 8.3 watts. So once again, the jerk was 44 to 80, and the bench press is 0.3 to 8.3. So yes, you can develop some power with the bench press, but that's not efficiency there. If you can do 44 to 80 watts with a jerk compared to a tenth of that with the bench press. And it's interesting because you talk, think about, about Olympic lifting, but other studies have shown, and they reference this right in the article, that weightlifters had higher one rep max and power output in the squat than other strength athletes. And that includes powerlifters. So weightlifters, not only could they lift more, but they not well not only could they lift more they could lift less weights qu- uh, quicker so they were stronger and faster and what do these olympic you know weightlifters do olympic lifts the article goes on to talk about specificity and specificity is that you need to train for your sport and if you're not an athlete a field athlete a court athlete whatever it may be you need to train for your goals So what's a football player need? A football player needs to be powerful, right? The quarterback says hike, 
and you need to generate force as quickly as possible. You need to explode off the line, whether you're offense or defense. So if that's the case, you need to train for power. And the article points out that you don't want to compromise power by doing endurance, you know, that low-intensity aerobic exercise. So, for example, if you're a football player, you don't want to, you know, sacrifice and compromise your overall power to go on a 25-minute run. There's no specificity to a 25-minute or a a five-mile run if you're a football player because football is played in 15-second bursts at most. And it's the rule I've always kind of followed and as I've always applied to my own coaching and training is that aerobic exercise can hurt your anaerobic abilities, but not vice versa. So for example, you know, too much running on the treadmill can hurt your squat, but squatting is not necessarily going to hurt your performance running on the treadmill. So it's kind of, you know, interesting because in the science behind it and the explanation is that excessive aerobic training starts to convert your muscle fiber. So it'll convert your type two, your fast twitch, your, the, the muscle fibers that can generate more force, they'll turn them into your type one, your slow twitch. And that's, you know, that's what marathon runners and, and other athletes like that have. The article goes on to talk about combining strength and power training. So you can kind of think of this as your, uh, conjugate training um, or your concurrent training, if you will. Um, But if you have a coach or you've done your own programming and it's well-designed, you can maximize performance by focusing on strength and power development at the same time. Whether you're um, doing that within one periodization, whether you're doing it in different periodization blocks, whether you're rotating it, uh, within weekly workouts or even in the same workout from set to set, uh, exercise to exercise, it can be done. So speaking of periodization, like I said, one of the, the main thesis in this article is, I don't even, is that even a word, thesis, or am I just being a complete fucking idiot for this? But if it's not a word, it is a word now. I've, I've said it enough in this podcast. Book it. So one of the thesis anyway is that Strength is a foundation of power. You cannot be powerful if you don't have that strength foundation. And the way to to get that in the article outlines is that you can break down your periodization into three different blocks. So first, you have your cross-sectional area development. And that's what a lot of people kind of think of when they think of bodybuilding. That's your muscular hypotrophy. So you're doing sets of 6 to 10 reps. Uh, the intensity is less, so you can do more volume. And that's how you can build up that muscular hypotrophy, build the muscles. Once you have that and you do that for a a certain period of time, you switch over to your strength development. And that's where you're doing, you know, the intensity, the weights go up and the reps start to go down. You're looking at three to six reps. And once you've had adequate time to develop that strength, well, now you can turn that into power. You can start developing power. And that's your third periodization block where you get your power development. And interestingly enough, your reps go from three to six reps in your strength development, and it actually comes down to one to three reps in power development, but the weight comes down as well. Because once again, what's the driving force to your power equation? Time. You need to do it quickly. So the weightage comes down and the reps come down and you do it very explosively. The authors also talk about making sure you do your 
uh, power developing exercises through a full range of motion. And I, I'm really glad they pointed this out because I'd, I'd always thought this was kind of a, um, I, I guess I'll say it. I, I always thought it was kind of a stupid practice, but it seemed to be across the board. A lot of people did their power cleans from a hanging position. And I never understood that because it, you really are leaving a lot on the table. And luckily, this article referenced another study that showed that doing a power clean from the hanging position only gave you about 56% of your maximum power. So you're leaving 44% of your power generating abilities. You're leaving it out in space. It's just out there. It's gone. It's You're leaving that on the table. Where if you were to actually pull it off the ground and do a power clean, you could generate damn near 50%. You could double your power generation there. And that's that's efficiency. Leaving it on the table by doing it from a hanging position and, and not a full range of motion is very inefficient. And finally, and a lot of people might zone out at this part, but a lot of the coaches and people that are really into this really nerd out on this. The article goes into your strength slash power potentiating complexes. Now, a potentiation, a lot of people hear that all over the place, but few people actually understand what it is. So the exact definition of potentiation is the increase in strength of nerve impulses along pathways that have been used previously, either short-term or long-term. So what's that saying? It's essentially saying that you're waking up your nervous system. You're warming up your nervous system before you perform an exercise. So just as you warm up your muscle when you go to do a power clean and you warm up and you progressively, you start with lightweight and you progressively go heavier, you're essentially warming up your nervous system for your performance. And there's a couple different ways you can do this with a, you know, a high force or a high power activity before doing a, a high power or a high velocity movement. And the article outlines a bunch of different examples of different potentiation complexes you can do. One that I'll use as an example is that, that, that they outline is that you can do a heavy back squat um, before you do a vertical jump. So a heavy back squat can potentiate a better performance on a vertical jump which seems counterintuitive to a lot of people they'd say a lot of people would say well don't do a don't squat before you do a vertical jump because your vertical jump will be shit but that's not necessarily the case now the key factor to all this of course is fatigue if you do a heavy squat you don't you want to warm up your nervous system you want to warm up um your motor motor units you don't want to burn them out you don't want to fatigue them uh, you don't want to exhaust them but you want to warm them up so you can potentiate them and actually get a better performance and vertical jump. So making sure you manage fatigue is absolutely key. And if you're going to do something like this, the potentiation complexes, if you're looking to do that in a periodization block, you really want to do that in your power development periodization block. So with all that being said, what are the, what are the big takeaways? Well, first and foremost, um, you need to have a base in strength. That is key to power development. If you have that base and strength, you've been training, you've trained up that, that strength. So you have adaptations from training. So some adaptations you get from training is that you can recruit more motor units. The, the way the body works and it recruits small and large, small to large, and, and you can learn efficiencies. Your body will adapt and become better at recruiting motor units. And that helps with power development. You also um, adapt and, and you improve your firing rate. So if you think about when you go to do a squat and you go down, if your muscle fibers are firing at boom, boom, 
boom. That's okay, right? But what if you could get them to fire at boom, 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 boom. See, it's flexing, it's contracting, it's generating force. Obviously, the faster, the higher the firing rate, the more force you're producing. And also, if you've built that um, base in strength, you've converted a lot of your muscle fibers. We talked about if you run too much, you can convert them from type 2 to type 1, which would be bad. But if you have that base in strength, you've already converted a lot of muscle fibers from your type 1. You're small, you're thin, you're weak, you're poor force generating, you know, marathon runner ones to type two, which are bigger, thicker, stronger, and can generate more force. And type two gives you that greater force output. It's also shown that stronger athletes recover quickly. That's another adaptation that comes from building that um, initial strength base. And the, sh the studies show um, that stronger athletes respond to power development better. So it makes it's kind of common sense, right? If you can only power clean 135 pounds, how are you ever going to really get fast and and develop power off of that? Are you going to to practice with 85 pounds? Are you going to practice with the bar? How can you ever really develop power if you don't have that strength base? And if you think about it, weak athletes, most weak athletes are often young athletes. So young athletes, with a, with a whether it be in chronological age or even in just training age, they just don't have much time in the weight room. Young athletes really need to just focus on strength and not get wrapped up in, in trying to do all these little things. Just focus on the big movements and getting stronger. So once again, this is an article. We have to talk about the limitations of this article. Um, I've kind of outline three that popped out to me and the first is that weightlifting movements are very technical it takes a lot of supervision and a lot of supervision and coaching from knowledgeable people to truly master these movements right because they're very easy to perform inefficiently and in worst case scenario harmfully you can get yourself hurt so it's hard for someone i work with a lot of clients online and over the internet and one of my questions with them when, when doing this is how much experience they have with the weightlifting movements. Where did they learn it? Have, have they had true coaching with it? Because I'm not going to blindly, um, blindly prescribe someone weightlifting movements if they can't do it. And I'm not there to give them real-time feedback. Because even videos after a workout um, can be too late if, it's, if they end up dropping the bar on the top of their head. So weightlifting movements can be complex and very technical. The second limitation I, I outlined was that athletes have trouble sticking to programs during power development phase. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that like I have, but that seems to be the case. And I think this is ego-driven because you think about the power development phase, once again, lighter weights, moving at fast speeds. If you tell someone to go in and go at 65% uh, with lighter weights, well, it's hard for them to stick at 65% when their best friend is on the other side of the gym and he's deadlifting at 95 to a hundred percent. He's, he's looking to set a new, a new record. So I find it's very easy for them to, um, for athletes to get off of the, the program and kind of end up doing their own thing and completely negating the whole reason that they were in the power development, um, phase of their periodization. 
And when you get into things like the potentiating complexes and things like that, it can become very complicated. And sometimes that's the last thing you want to do if you're looking to keep someone on the program and keep them coming back and following it to a T. So you don't want to overcomplicate it. You really want to kiss, you know, keep it simple, stupid. So that's it, guys. That's the end of episode two. I think I, uh, I think I covered everything I wanted to cover there. But remember, this is just one side of an issue. Um, you're going to find dozens and hundreds of articles and studies that support everything that the authors put in this article. And then you're going to find just as many that fall on the other side of the fence that contradict it and go against it. But at the end of the day, I just want to have an open discussion. Um, I raised this article to give you something to think about so you can decide whether it can be applied to you, your athletes, your business, whatever it may be. So it really is an open discussion. I think going forward, uh, I think the plan is that I'm going to release a new episode every Sunday. So that will give you something to do for your food prep on Sunday or something to listen to on the way into work on Monday. Um, so I guess... I guess next Sunday, that's it. In the meantime, I implore you to go over to, to uh, defyinggravityperformance.com, read some articles, check it out. Uh, you can contact me there if there's anything you want me to cover or research specifically. Um, I'd be happy to do it and put it on a future episode. So until then, I'll speak with you next week. Defy limitations. God bless America. <laughs>